0: The name of my 8th grade English teacher was Miss Dixon. And even though it was an English class, my English teacher had a unit on public speaking. I don't really know if it was a unit on public speaking, but but she made us give a few presentations. And so I don't even remember what we talked about. I think it might have been have a little bit to do with with a fa- favorite family member. I think we did one on teaching the class some sort of skill. But what I remember the most about Miss Dixon was everyone had to come to the front of the class and say something. Even if you weren't ready to speak, you had to come to the front of the class and you had to at least say something. Now, that may not be that big of a surprise. You might think, well, that's not a big deal. You just prepare what you're going to say and then you say it. But I didn't go to a school that was all that well known for its academic excellence. Uh, Maybe for our athletic ability, perhaps for gang related crime. um, Athletic or excuse me, academic excellence, uh, generally not so much. And so I'm guessing in my class of, I don't know, 25, 30 students, there was probably a good 20% of the students that didn't prepare anything at all. So they would have had weeks to prepare, and it would have come time for the person to be called up to speak. And so invariably, Ms. Dixon would say, all right, you know, Andrea, it's your time to come up, or, or Dwayne, it's your time to come up. And the student would say, oh, no. I'm not doing it, I forgot, I don't want to, and Ms. Sixton would say, no, you need to come up, the, up to the front of the class. And what she would require the students to say is they'd have to come up to the podium and they'd have to look at the classmates, look them in the eye and say, I'm sorry, class, but I'm not prepared. I'm sorry, class, but I'm not prepared. And then the student would be able to go back to their seat and they'd receive a zero and life would, would go on. And I remember Miss Dixon wouldn't even allow people to come, because, I mean, you were talking about 13, 14-year-old students, so a lot of people thought this was funny, so the student would come up half laughing. She would not allow them to sit back down if they couldn't get through it with a straight face. You needed to be serious, you needed to be direct, look at the students, I'm sorry class and I'm not prepared, and they would go and they would sit down. That's what I remember most about, about that part in eighth grade English class. Now, I'm sure all of you have heard at some point in your life, and I don't know if the stats are true or not, that public speaking is generally people's number one fear, right? It's above spiders, it's above flying, it's above heights, it's above death, which is always funny, because if you gave someone an option, say, hey, you have two doors, you can open up door number one, and you're going to have 200 people there and a microphone. That's option number one. Option number two, a big Mac truck, and it's going to plow you over, it's going to kill you. Which one do you want? You know, I, I find it. Hard to believe that people say, I would love the Mack truck. Can it be a big black one, please? Just plow me right over. But I guess statistically that's, that's the truth of it. But I have a theory about this, and I have no research to back this up. I think people aren't necessarily all that afraid of public speaking. I think they're more afraid of being unprepared. Because I, I find, at least for myself, I do public speaking here and there. I'm doing it right now, I suppose. I'm not that afraid of actually speaking I'm afraid about speaking with nothing to say. It's actually the only nightmare that I have. And I, I have the reoccurring pastor nightmare where, where in my dream, I realize five minutes before the message, I'm slated to speak and I got nothing. I've got no text. I've got nothing to say. I've just got a whole bunch of faces who are waiting me for me to say something profound, something from God. And I've got nothing. It's terrifying to think about speaking when you're not prepared. Which is really why I think what my English teacher taught her students is quite profound. Apologizing for being unprepared, not being ready to do what was required of them. And preparation really isn't just about public speaking either. Preparation, I think, is a bit of a a discipline for the rest of our lives. I mean, if you think about the things that you do in your everyday life, if you were not prepared to do them, what sort of things would happen? If you went on vacation and you weren't prepared for vacation, I mean, what would happen? All your coworkers would be angry at you because all of a sudden you weren't at your desk for six, seven, eight business days and your voicemail is filled up and no one knows. All of a sudden you just left. And you go to the airport and you find out that your Costco card doesn't work for ID and now you're hooped and you try to book a hotel because you haven't booked anything and now you can't do anything. I mean, you have to have some level of preparation when you go on vacation. You have to prepare your vehicles, right? Uh, The last week or two when it's been cold outside. Some of you probably ran out of window washer fluid. That's the worst in weather like this. Or your tires were a bit low, or you didn't have an ice scraper because you took it out last March and now you don't have it. I mean, you have to have some level of preparation to operate a vehicle. Uh, Our bodies need preparation. Anyone who just decides to say, you know what? I'm just gonna go for a 10K hike today and let's just see what happens. You find out the next five days when you're walking like a robot and you can't go downstairs, no, no physical preparation was done and you pay the consequences. Our financial lives. You have to prepare for our financial lives. If you don't, then you'll find out that you have overdraft fees and, and your line of credit's going to expire and you actually can't outspend what you make despite what you hear credit reports tell you. It's possible. Preparation is key. And whenever we make any sort of goal, if you have a goal, it, this, I mean, I've heard some people have these goals. They want to hike the, the, the seven highest peaks on the seven continents. I mean, you have to prepare for that. You have to figure out, when am I doing this? Am I going to do this when I'm 78 and I've got five weeks to live? Or am I going to do this during my prime? If you've got a goal this year, you say, I want to give 10% of my income, my 2012 income to charities this year. You've got to plan for that. It's not just something that, that you do spur of the moment for the most part. And what I found is that if we fail to prepare, we actually prepare to fail. It's just, it's just one of those uh, life principles that we find. If we, prepare to, or if we fail to prepare, we prepare to fail. Now, I'm not trying to discredit spontaneity. There's certainly a, a spot for that, and it's a, it's a valuable characteristic. But in most circumstances in our lives, preparation is key. Now, some of you might be wondering what this has to do with the book of Acts and with our sermon series. Some of you might be thinking, Keith has not prepared this morning. So he's rambling on and on about preparation in the hopes that time will expire and you would have missed out on some point. But if you think about the book of Acts, the book is really about preparation. It's about men and women who are preparing the hearts of their listeners to receive the gospel. It's about men and women who are preparing themselves to be obedient to the Spirit of God as the Spirit leads these individuals to build the church. It's about these people being prepared for growth. I mean, we have, we have thousands of converts that are coming. They had to have some sort of plan for what do we do with all these people? How do we teach these people? These are men and women who are preparing themselves for sacrifice. They're preparing for all sorts of things throughout this book. It's a story of getting prepared and being ready to spread the gospel message. And it makes me wonder as I read the book of Acts, if we're ready. Because many churches, and I would put ourselves in, in this lump as well, we, we aspire, we want to be like the early church. Here are a, a lot of uh, conferences talk about this, books, other churches say, oh, if only we could be like the early church, wouldn't it be great if we did things like the early church? Well, I think if we're really serious about that, then we have to say, are we ready? Are we prepared for this? Are we prepared like they were in that regard? Well, today's story has a bit to do with preparation, and it's in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts. If you have your 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 Bibles with you or your mobile device or you want to look up on the screens, there'll be a few verses up there as well. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16. And there's a number of things that happen in this story, and you'll see some links of them throughout the, the story that we'll be focusing on this morning. But the first 10 verses kind of say, What's going on and who's doing what? And, and the story is primarily focused on two characters. We have Paul and we have Silas. But early on in the chap, chapter 16, we find out that when they're in Derby, they meet a man named Timothy. And they invite Timothy along for their adventures. And so Timothy joins this group of disciples. And then we have Luke, who's the author of Acts. And he actually starts speaking in the first Person plural. He's saying we all the time. We did this. We went there. We decided not to do this. So we know we have at least these four men, and there's probably others. And they end up going to a, a city, a, a small Roman colony called Philippi, and that happens uh, right around verse sixteen or so. Uh, in actually, verse eleven and twelve is, is when they get to Philippi. And there's one short story there where they're they're speaking to a group of women, and there's one woman named Lydia. And she comes to, to know Jesus Christ and she's baptized and she invites the group over to her home. She's hospitable to them and they share some time with them there. And then the story goes into uh, verse 16 and that's where we're going to pick it up. I'm going to summarize the first part. And this is just one of those strange stories that you read in the book of Acts and you think, what is going on? How, how did this happen in that day and age? Does this still happen? Oh, what do we make of this? There's a slave girl. She's not named. But she's a slave girl, and she has a spirit within her that allows her to predict the future. She's a fortune teller. And she has her slave owners that are reaping the benefits of the spirit that's within her. And so they're making money. And because there's a a spirit within her, she is actually prophesying. She's telling other people about paul and silas and these disciples that they're servants of the lord most high and so she's following them around saying these are servants of the lord most high and we don't really know why or how or how long it took but all of a sudden paul seems to get a little bit annoyed by her and so he says in the name of jesus the spirit needs to come out and the spirit does and she's healed the spirit is cast out of her and you think like wow that was odd that was amazing i can't think the last time i saw that happen and then we find out that her owners weren't too pleased about this because this was their nice business plan that just went awry. And so they go after Paul and Silas. They have no more means of income for this, this slave woman now. And so they get angry about it. And so what ends up happening is the crowds then get involved as well. And what we see that, that, that the charge that these slave owners bring against Paul and Silas, uh, they, they go to the, to the Roman courts and they say that, this group, according to verse 21, is what they say. Paul and his group are advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. In other words, they play the Roman card. They say, hey, these outsiders, these Jewish people, they're, they're doing all these things that go against our culture. It's unlawful to practice. We don't know what they're doing. Basically, it's costing us money here. And, and we don't like it. I mean, something should be done about this. Now, Philippi is a, a Roman colony, and you think about the values and the beliefs and the traditions of a culture, any culture or ours included, there's a bit of a threat when, when someone comes and is going to challenge that. And so the crowds get involved, in, and they're not too fond of this either, and they begin attacking Paul and Silas. And little does anyone know, Paul and Silas are actually Roman citizens. That comes up at the end of the story. And so what they do is, is Paul and Silas are stripped of their clothing, they're beaten with rods. And then they're thrown into the inner prison, which is the most secure place of the prison, reserved for, for the most terrible prisoners. And they're secured in stocks. Now, you probably have a mental vision of what a stock is, at least, at least I do. I think of hands and feet being put in this, and, and then right in the middle of the market square, and people throw rotten vegetables at them, and they humiliate them. In this context, it's within the inner cell, and actually there's multiple holes for the feet to go into. So I always thought it was kind of just, let's hold them there, and they look kind of awkward. But it was actually a bit of a form of torture. And you think about Paul and Silas, they've been stripped naked, they've been beaten, they have all these wounds all over their body, bruises, sores, bleeding, uh, you would think. And now their legs are stretched into this stalk, and they really have no means of relaxing at all. They're just kind of hanging out there with their feet up, and, and they're going through intense agony, and they're here in the middle of the prison, and all this stuff has transpired within a day. And you have to think, what happened? Like, what, what, what just happened? All of a sudden, I mean, they, they had been, been teaching people, and now all of a sudden they're, they're in stocks in a prison. What in the world is going on? And because they were secured in these stocks, because they had all these wounds inflicted on them it probably shouldn't be a surprise that they didn't get much sleep that night. And we see in verse 25 that at midnight, our two main characters in the story are still awake. They have not yet gone to sleep. Now I want you to use your imagination for a minute and think about what it would be like to be Paul, what it would be like to be Silas at this situation. You've had a crowd attack you. You've been stripped naked. You have... Uh, Wounds all over your body. You've been beaten with a rod. Now you're in this stock. You have no idea what's going to happen. You have no rights, even though you're a rightful Roman citizen. How would you respond to that situation? What would you say? What would you think? What would you be inclined to do? Personally, I think I'd be complaining. I think I'd be a little bit frustrated at everything that was happening to me. I think I would feel like the injustice of the situation would be too much to handle. I'd probably be a little bit frustrated at God, thinking, what in the world am I doing in this jail? And now my body's all messed up. I've got a cracked rib, and that's painful. That's not going to be helpful at all, Lord, for this mission you have for me. There's all these people out there. We were ministering to people, and now we're gone. How long are we going to be? You know, it, it, I would just be frustrated I think, and upset and angry. I don't even know if I'd be willing to say anything. I think I'd just be quiet, trying to figure out, What happened? I'd probably be praying, praying for wounds to go away, for strength to to come back, praying for the authorities to realize their error, uh, praying maybe for some sort of great logical argument to come into my mind that you could kind of persuade the jailers or the officials the next day. Actually, you know, this is what really happened and here's how I should go off the hook and, and all this sort of stuff. But what would you be doing if you were there in the stocks that night? Well, the story tells us that Paul and Silas were praying just as you might have been praying. But their prayers seemingly didn't have to do much with a pity party prayer or a a take care of me prayer or or heal my wounds right away. These were prayers of exaltation and praise. Verse 25 in Acts chapter 16 says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They hosted a midnight concert. They were singing. They were declaring the the greatness of God. They were praying out loud, despite how painful that might have been for their bodies. How could they do this? Like physically, how could they do this? How do they find the strength to actually uh, make verbal noises, to sing songs, to to pray? How do they do this emotionally and spiritually? Where do they find the strength and the determination and the focus to be able to do this at such a time as this? Well, the story doesn't tell us how. There's lots of questions that we have of the text. And in this story, we don't really know how they were able to do it. Uh, But we know from the greater story of the book of Acts that Paul and Silas and, and the early church, for that matter, were very focused people. They were determined, they had a mission. And they went about their day throughout each and every circumstance with this purpose. And their purpose was to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known. It didn't matter the circumstance. Just within this chapter, we see uh, there's three different circumstances where, where they're, they're meeting with a group of women and Lydia comes. Uh, they, they are able to, to release this woman from a spirit and now they're here in a jail. And no matter what circumstance they face, their goal, their primary goal is to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known. It doesn't matter what they faced as long as they face it with this ambition of making it known. And so Paul was prepared. He was prepared to face adversity Silas was ready. He was ready for anything that was going to happen because they were prepared to make the gospel of Jesus known. This was their calling. It was their passion. It was their life. And so we find them secured at the stocks at midnight. And their prayers and songs had not fallen upon deaf ears, not just because God had heard their prayers and was taking action, but we actually see in the second part of verse 25 that the prisoners were listening to them as well. So we have Paul and Silas secured in the inner cell. And their prayers and their songs are having an impact on the rest of the prisoners. And then the miraculous begins to happen. An earthquake happens. And the earthquake is so violent that the actual foundations of the prison are shaken. Which then releases the cell doors. And then the actual chains that are bound bound every single prisoner, those are released as well. And we find out that through this earthquake even, the jailer wakes up. Now, this kind of fits our stereotypical scene of a jail, right? We've got the jailer with his feet up and he's fallen asleep. But now through this earthquake, he realizes what's going on. The prisoners are now free to do anything they want, probably go out the door. They could attack him. Uh, They could do basically whatever they feel because they've got freedom. And so we find out in this story that the the jailer wakes up, he realizes what's going on, and he instinctively takes his sword and prepares himself to end his own life. Because as a Roman jailer, he probably thinks to himself that there's just one prisoner who escapes, that's my neck. This is my duty. This is my job to make sure that my jail is secured. And so he instinctively takes this sword, ready to end his life on his own terms, And then we see Paul intervene. This is what Paul says before the jailer can do anything hurtful. Don't harm yourself. We are all here. Paul understands what's happening. Here's the jailer. The jailer who would have secured him to the stocks. The jailer who would have uh, kept guard over the, the entire jail. And Paul says, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Not just Paul and Silas, but from the context everyone in the jail. Which makes you think, what sort of impact did Paul and Silas have on the rest of the people in the jail that they would either choose not to do this, have compassion on this jailer as well, or, or perhaps heed the instructions that Paul and Silas would have given them. And so the lights are turned on in the, in the jail, and the jailer rushes over to Paul and Silas, drops to his knees, quivering, And he asks a question that transforms this entire story. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Now, the jailer could have asked a lot of other questions. I thought about a few of them that might have been appropriate. He could have said, was that an earthquake that just happened? (laughs) He could have said, am I dreaming? He could have said, why are all the prisoners still here? He could have asked, who are you? He could have said nothing. He just could have thought a whole bunch of other things. He could have thought, whoa, that was, that was a close one. Um, I wonder who I could have blamed that on. I wonder if what sort of excuse I could have come up with. Uh, I wonder what the magnitude of that earthquake really was, if we, if we could get that in the newspaper later on. I mean, all these sorts of things could have been going on in his head. But he asked this incredible question, what must I do to be saved? And I bet that if he would asked a different question or responded in a different way, I bet you both Paul and Silas would have had a good response for him as well. Because they were the, in the habit, they were prepared to make the gospel known in each and every circumstance that they came into. But instead, Luke tells us what the jailer did say on that day. He asked the simple question, what must I do to be saved? Now, if I can put you back in the place of Paul or of Silas, in that jail, under those circumstances, what would you have said? If the jailer was on his knees shaking in front of you and said, what must I do to be saved? What would you say? Or to change the context into something a little bit more understandable, if you were asked this question later on today from a stranger, a family member, a friend, if they looked at you today and said, what must I do to be saved? What would you say? If it happened this upcoming Thursday, What would you say? Well, Paul and Silas were prepared. They were ready to respond to this question. And this is what they say in verse 31 Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke of the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. And immediately he and all his household were baptized. Then the jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Now, it's hard to read this story and to not think, this is an amazing story. This is, like, this is borderline unbelievable. I mean, we've, got, we've got two men thrown into prison. We've got an earthquake that happens. We have chains that are released. We have prisoners open we have other prisoners who decide not to leap out we have compassion they they spare the jailer of his life not only is he saved physically from death but he finds out that that now he has eternal life he has spiritual renewal not just for him but for his entire family this is oh this is an amazing story that's what happens i think when we read this story but what i don't think should be amazing what i don't think should surprise us from the story is that these two men were actually prepared to give an answer. That shouldn't surprise us at all. That two men who were fully devoted to Jesus Christ were ready to respond to this situation, were obedient to the Spirit of God, and had an answer for that question that the jailer asked them that evening. But responding to that question took preparation. It required obedience. And it required that the two men lived in such a way that the jailer would actually want to ask them that question. Now, if there's anyone here this morning who is asking this same question, I want to make sure that you understand the answer that that Paul and Silas gave. The same answer that applies to today. That if you want to know what you must do in order to be saved, that you would understand it's belief and belief alone. It is faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. It's accepting Him as your Savior. If you have not done that, please don't leave here this morning without telling someone about it so someone can pray with you, so someone can help you understand the commitment that you've made. You can talk to Pastor Brad or myself or someone from our prayer team later on this morning, but please don't miss this message of the gateway of salvation. It is through Jesus. I think the point that I want to isolate outside of That obvious point of salvation is this. Always be prepared to make the gospel known. Always be prepared to make the gospel known. Paul and Silas were ready. They were prepared. They had ambition. They were focused. And it really didn't matter what situation they found themselves in. They would go with it. They were prepared for it. It didn't matter if if they were going to suffer for the sake of the gospel, they were ready to sing when their bodies were aching, they understood that they ha- were going to have influence, that God was going to, to use this situation to bring about opportunities for them to spread the message of the gospel. And when we look at the context of this entire chapter, we see that these disciples are prepared for every situation. They're prepared to receive this invitation from Lydia earlier in the chapter. We don't know what that looked like. We don't know if they had some sort of agenda. We don't know if, if they had dietary problems and they didn't want to go to some stranger's house and maybe get food poisoning. I mean, as silly as that sounds, that's not just the easiest thing to do, to, set, to accept an invitation to go to someone's house and have a meal. But they, they were prepared. They were prepared to do whatever they needed to do to make the gospel known. And so they went. And they were prepared when they interacted with that, that slave girl who was oppressed by a spirit. It didn't matter to them that there were slave owners. It didn't matter to them that, that maybe they would have all these terrible things happen to them, which eventually they did. They were prepared, they were always prepared, to make the gospel known. And so they acted with obedience. And then here in the jail, they did the exact same thing. They were always prepared to make the gospel known. Each family's, or excuse me, each story is different But each one required preparation. And these Christ followers were always prepared to make the gospel known. And if you're serious, if you're serious about being obedient to Jesus, if you're serious about following him, if our church is serious about doing this, if we're serious about seeing stories like this, stories that we read about in the book of Acts, happen in our community, happen in Willoughby, then we must be prepared to make the gospel known. Now this idea of preparation is not just isolated to the book of Acts. Uh, we see other instances in the New Testament. For example, the, the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is a great verse. If you've not memorized this verse, I challenge you to write this down and meditate on this verse throughout the week. Peter says this, always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer. To everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Your faith, your hope, your trust, why you persevere. Always be prepared, Peter says, to testify to this hope that you have. Always be prepared to spread the gospel message. Now, If we want to follow this teaching, I think the application is pretty simple. We have to get prepared. We need to be prepared. We have to be more prepared today than we were yesterday. And we should be more prepared six months from now than we are today. It's a journey. It's a process. It's preparation. It's hard work. But it's about being obedient. It's about being faithful to Jesus. It's about being a useful vessel wherever we go so that we can spread the message of the gospel. And some of you already might be writing down notes and you might be saying a silent prayer to yourself when thinking, well, what, is, what does that mean for me? Uh, what does that step mean for me? How can I be more prepared? What's required of me to be ready to respond to a question like this? Or, or a, a situation where I'm suffering, I'm going through a tough time. How can I be better prepared? And I've got a couple of, of examples. These certainly are, are, are not going to apply for everyone. But um, just a couple of examples that come to mind. The first, read your Bible. If we want to be prepared, let's read our Bibles. This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God speaking to us, speaking to our situations. This prepares us for our day. And it prepares us to be prepared to spread the gospel to those around us. So read your Bible. Read your Bible. Can you imagine how much better prepared you would be and I would be and our entire church would be if we read the Bible with more regularity? If the Spirit would be able to remind us of a verse that we had read that day that we could encourage someone else with, or a word of truth that that, that we could boldly say to someone else when the Spirit of God prompts us, read your Bible. It's a way that you can be prepared. Another idea, and this one I'll even let you think about for a couple of weeks. Uh, Three weeks from tonight, uh, we're hosting a Pragmatics event. We we host Pragmatics uh, a few times a year. And the purpose of pragmatics is we want to give people a practical tools for everyday life. And on February 12th, our own Danny Ferguson here at, at Jericho Ridge, who's a local missionary, he's going to be telling us how we, can sh- how we can share our stories. How, essentially, we can take this message and we can apply it. How we can be better prepared. How we can uh, give an answer to the hope that we have. To the transformation that we've experienced. How we can talk about our faith. And our perseverance amidst everything that we come across. And here's the thing about the story of of Paul and of Silas being thrown in prison that amazes me. The only reason for all of this happening, I'm speculating here. But the only reason for for them uh, being thrown in prison, receiving all these beatings, the earthquake, all the prisoners, all these things. The only reason for all this happening might have been, might have been. Because their attitude and their response is what was needed for that jailer to ask that question. That could have been it. And I bet if we had Paul and Silas with us here today, they would say, oh yeah, that was worth it. I would do it again. I'd do it twice on Tuesday if I had to. Because it resulted in the salvation of the jailer and his entire household. And it's frightening to think, what would have happened if the two of them were not prepared? What would have happened if they were not prepared to face that situation, that opportunity to bear testimony to the gospel, to the jailer amidst those circumstances? And the thing is, is I think we have similar opportunities in our lives. I think there's stuff going on in our lives, there's stuff going on in other people's lives, and all of it might be leading to this moment where someone says, I trust that person enough to ask a question like this. What must I do to be saved? Or to ask a question like this, What would you recommend I do in the following situation? Or to ask a question like this, will you pray with me? I don't know what that means, but are you prepared to pray with me? And so church, I ask you, are you prepared? Are you willing to get better prepared? Now, I would love to have a church full of jailers. Can you imagine what it would be like if if we had a church full of people who, at some point in their life, like this jailer, asked someone from Jericho Ridge, asked someone from the community, asked that question of what must I do to be saved, and they got a response. They got a response about how they can trust Jesus and receive salvation, and then they found their way into our church, perhaps even their whole family. And our chairs were filled with jailers all over the place. That would be awesome. That would be amazing. But you know what? I don't know if it would happen if we are not prepared. I think it might remain just a dream unless you and I get prepared to respond to those situations and to respond to those questions. We have to be prepared. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to thank you for the faithfulness of, of your people the faithfulness of paul and of silas of other men and women in the early church who were always prepared to make the gospel known who suffered who persevered who made sacrifices who died all for the sake of your gospel i want to thank you for the men and women in our lives who led us to the faith lord We know that that you put people in our path so that when we ask questions like this jailer asked, when we face circumstances, your spirit was at work and you led us to the faith. And Lord, I pray that you would give us ambition to be prepared, that you would reveal to us resources that we can train ourselves in so that we would be better prepared to ask. So that when the opportunity arises, we can say, Lord, I am prepared. I am ready. Use me. May your spirit use me. God, we thank you for the teaching of your word, for the truth that it reveals to us. We leave this place this morning confident that your spirit remains in us. And that you are always with us, God. Helping us to persevere, preparing us to make the gospel known throughout our community. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. Hope you have a great week. And we will see you next Sunday. Don't forget that Missions Fest is this upcoming weekend. If you want to attend, there's information about the programs that are offered there at the Welcome Center. And with that said, have a great Sunday afternoon.